Have you tried my new favorite cocktail? Anytime Spritz is a new farm-to-can cocktail company that I've been drinking, well, anytime I want to drink. Their cocktails have a transparent ingredient list, and they're all farm-fresh products that I can pronounce and have in my kitchen, so I feel good about what alcohol I'm putting in my body. They use an organic vodka, because why aren't we all drinking organic alcohol, and 100% real fruits and herbs. I feel like there's a bartender in my house who just distilled fresh organic vodka and then picked fruit from a garden and made me a cocktail to go. If you want a cocktail that's flavorful, not too sweet, and fresh, try Anytime Spritz. Bring it to your next dinner party or for your next outdoor adventure. Find your closest store or order it online at www.anytimespritz.com. I think one of the most consistent things about being a girl is every six months texting every other girl I know being like, so have we found the cotton underwear yet? Yes. And I'm at that six month mark right now. Have we found the cotton underwear that is comfortable and cute yet? Were you sent parade products? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I like have categorically denied parade yeah. because I'm like obsessed with 100% cotton for Her, vaginal yes. health and I'm like you will not catch me in that like poly tensile bamboo whatever it is I need to know where everyone is buying in large amounts 100% cotton daily every day it can just be my standard cute 100% cotton underwear yeah I think that's the other thing is like I struggle with stuff where you need volume because I'm someone who's like oh it's fine if I just have like one button down that I like and one yes, long sleeve shirt that I like but you can't just have like one good pair of underwear I don't even think you can just have seven good pairs no, of no, underwear right. you need to be like, like 30, 30. <laughs> and then there's going to be some other issue I'm going to learn about I'm going to learn about like non-bleached you don't want your under like white is bad because it's been bleached I don't know yeah. there's going to be like something oh my god you're word. probably yeah, right we probably need undyed cotton yeah I want undyed 100% cotton that unfortunately doesn't cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And I want 30 of them. If you have underwear that you like, <laughs> we are coveredpod at gmail.com and we are avidly looking for your ex. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ruby Redstone. I'm a fashion historian writer and I'm wearing a 1940s pajama top that I added ostrich feathers to. It is one of your many pieces that broke my brain, and I need you to add feathers to all of my clothing. This was a lockdown endeavor. <laughs> I had a, a lot one. of time. It's a good one. And I'm Natalie Brennan. I'm a podcast producer, a writer, and I'm in an Isemayaki Pleats Please vintage scarf that I tied over my sheer sweater. And this is Covered, a show about our favorite moments in fashion history. This week, World War II Sweetheart Lingerie. Okay, this is obviously a very personal question, but what's your stance on lingerie? I love lingerie. Yeah, I love lingerie. I'm like, there's lingerie, and then there's lingerie, and I'm talking about right now lowercase lingerie, but there is nothing more special to me than an incredibly delicate, impractical, lace-jeweled piece. I'm like, who here at this point would be shocked to know that we love to adorn ourselves in this way, in delicate lace? <laughs> I guess that tracks for us. I totally agree. And from a design perspective, I find lingerie so fascinating because it's so technically difficult to make and yet you can do so much cool stuff with it. Also, I think the more uncomfortable and the more French it is, the better. I'm not, I'm not here for millennial rebranded comfortable bras. We know my scholar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want the agent provocateur.
I myself am definitely a cotton underwear girl in daily life and I'm definitely definitely not a very sexy dresser but I always love the like Carrie Bradshaw look of doing a really fancy bra with overalls yeah me too despite being a comfort advocate we actually do meet in the middle on this. I also specifically want the Agent Provocateur. Agent Provocateur makes incredibly beautiful, albeit semi-uncomfortable pieces. <laughs> I found my favorite piece because uh, Lucia Zolea, who I think we both love her vintage collection and the way yes. that she shoots it, um, she styles a lot of her pieces with one of their bras and I had to DM her and be like what is this I'm obsessed with it and I hunted it down on eBay it's the blue Lindy Demi bra I got into a lot of fights with people trying to sell it to me on eBay because I wanted different sizes tops than the underwear sets and they were like well then you're gonna be leaving me with a this size and this size and who's that gonna be for and I was like well, I don't know that's not my problem so <laughs> I'm sure you could find someone <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> So anyway, I only wound up with the top, but it's so beautiful. It has this blue trim and it's outlined in these really small little jewels and it's so delicate and beautiful. I think that's the thing. It's it's just like you need, we're, we're magpies for that kind of thing. It doesn't even matter if I wear it. I'm just happy when I see something like that. Um, luckily for us, we don't have to unpack the psychology of Agent Provocateur today. Yeah, thank because, God. <laughs> because the lingerie that we're talking about today looks completely different. I am very, very ready to cover it. Let's cover it. Actually, let's uncover it. Whoa, <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> Time to cover up. Time to cover up. Time to cover up. From the battlefront to the fashion front, and there's no smokescreen here. It's a West End show, sheer nylon underwear, new style elasticated girdles and brassiers, everything to delight the eyes of women. The eyes of women. The eyes of women. Okay, so today we are talking about World War II lingerie sets, and I will give a quick description. Most of these sets come in the same color, top and bottom, and they're in like a very gorgeous, shiny silk. It can either be silk or like a rayon silk imitation. Blend. Yeah, okay. it depends how fancy you're going. The top is a pretty classic 40s bralette top, and the bottoms are almost like a high-waisted boy short. Tap shorts is the proper term. I don't know if that's helpful for people, but yeah, Visually, high-waisted boy shorts is perfect. But more importantly, these sets are adorned with very special embroidered messages. <laughs> these lingerie sets have kind of taken on a funny life of their own within the world of vintage yes. fashion in that I see images of them all over the place, even though they're a pretty rare collector's item. I think it's because they're really lovely to look at, but also because they've got these funny phrases on them and people love a sassy vintage item. Yes, I've been sent these sets around before. I'm obsessed with them. They are so fun. I actually go, when we were doing the research for this episode, I searched my texts world war Two, just because <laughs> i knew that they would pop up and i found this amazing text from my best friend sophie um where i had been like she was having a bad day and i'd been like you need a treat and she was like i don't want a treat i want the 400 dollars novelty world war Two <laughs> era lingerie set that says sweet slash sour on the breast <laughs> yes i agree you know with the her one. <laughs> i agree with her 
You get these bras that say sweet and sour or don't touch on the breasts. And then I'm actually looking at a pair of black high-waisted underwear right now that say, keep your pants on, honey, until I come home. Like I both hate it and I'm so obsessed with it. My favorite thing is that a lot of these underwear say gone with the wind on them. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like half of them that I saw when looking them up say gone with the wind on them. Yeah, and this is simply because from what I can gauge in my research, (laughs) because Gone with the Wind had come out in 1939 and it was the most popular movie in America when the war broke out. I suppose the title works with like a general theme of war and heartache. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is disrespectful, but I couldn't stop thinking about what it would look like if you made these underwear for like a present day situation. And so then I looked up the top grossing movie in America from 2003 when the Iraq war started and it was Finding Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep swimming. It would have literally been like, just keep swimming. Not the rise of Pixar and American (laughs) imperialism in the Middle East. Exactly. I was like, actually, in this case, it might not be helpful for me to apply a modern lens to this. I think what we're getting at is that these pieces carry an incredibly complex history with them and they're so cheeky but they're so nuanced exactly and I think that's you know I I think that kind of gets lost in just boiling them down to like these sassy little underwear exactly I mean I have a lot of complicated thoughts both of course on the like very low level obviously never great to think of women as property that belongs (laughs) to a man especially quite literally when it's like written over their sex organs but also these make me like absolutely spiral because you know don't love war (laughs) and like it's so like we're joking about these 2003 sets because it could never happen and that's also in part I think because support was so different then and these sets are from a time where it's like everyone was drafted Yes. I always have to remind myself of this because it's really easy for me personally to vilify people who choose to go to war. Yeah. But most of the men who were looking at who would have been purchasing, creating and purchasing these lingerie sets had no choice. Yeah. And just to kind of get into that, these underwear sets fall into a category that for purposes herein we'll call World War II sweetheart souvenirs. It's a perfect name, especially for a certified ultimate sweetie. That's you. (laughs) We have to kind of get into a bit of a strange headspace here to understand the idea of a wartime souvenir, especially since, like we said, I don't know if people still do this. I'd have to ask someone who's in the military. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) imagine that you're a young American man and you've been stationed in the Pacific theater of World War II. It's safe to assume that most American men who were sent to East Asia during this time would never have traveled to the countries where they were stationed before the war. And most of them had probably never even left the country. Then they find themselves in these places, Japan, Thailand, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Hong Kong, places that are both visually and culturally extremely different to America. No, literally, like, how my grandfather found out he has a deathly shellfish allergy. <laughs> right. Yeah, having like, food he was that never, never eating. He was so poor. He was not eating shrimp, even. Also, it's 
insane to go to war and then have a dangerous shellfish reaction. <laughs> like, That's the thing that almost <laughs> killed him. Shrimp. Um, so naturally, once these young men arrive in their stations, they start looking around for souvenirs that they can send home to their loved ones. Okay, now I must admit that's actually fascinating to me because before we got into this history, when I had been sent these pieces or when I've looked at them online, I thought that they were things being made in America that women were kind of wearing before their lover went off to war to be like, hee hee, look, like I'll be in this the whole time while you're gone. Mm. They're being sent these as gifts. Yes. So this this kind of gets into the really fascinating history of this lingerie. But it's always been a thing for soldiers to give their wives or girlfriends little pieces of jewelry or keepsakes to hold on to while yeah. they're at war. It's more unique to World War II that these tokens start to reflect where the soldiers are stationed rather than just their undying affection for their ladies. Okay, so they're being sent these gifts from abroad. Yes. Um, there's a little bit of lore surrounding the specific embroidered souvenirs that we see coming out of World War II. Even if you haven't seen the World War II sweetheart lingerie, you probably have seen some of the men's souvenir silk jackets. They look like regular silk bomber yeah. jackets, and then they have massive embroidered maps of Japan or tigers or fighter jets embroidered on the back. They're a lot more ubiquitous. You can find them in a lot of vintage stores. And they're called sukajan, which means souvenir jacket in Japanese. And anyway, the legend has it that one soldier took his military bomber jacket to a tailor in Yokosuka, Japan, and had his name and his military base embroidered on it. Then when he went back to the base, all the other soldiers were obsessed and had to run out and go get one of their own. The cultural sharing during this specific war is so fascinating to me. Like, they're becoming obsessed with, like, what they can do embroidery-wise, etc., to their jackets while we're while they're there, as we had talked about a little bit last week, these soldiers also brought their denim jeans with them and left those behind, and that created a whole lot of hoopla. And it's just crazy to, you know, the ways in which it's really hard for my modern brain to separate, like, cultural sharing from imperialism. But, like, hearing this now, I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised that each culture was also, like, what you got over there. Yeah, this was on my mind a lot while we were researching this episode. War can be a tool for mixing cultures, and in some cases it's the first experience that two cultures will ever have with one another. And I think it's a kind of fundamental truth of our world that's really hard to confront, especially from a modern perspective on war. Yeah, for sure. I think that's right. However, like with most legends that try to give one huge trend, a nice yeah. neat origin story, I have questions about whether or not this Sukajan story is real. Um, especially because embroidered items aren't just found in Japan. You can find ones that come from every country involved in the Pacific theater, including Hawaii and Guam, which were... Guam was an American territory at that point, but Hawaii had not become a state. Um, and then an entire industry is built around the desire for these goods. You get pajamas, which I actually collect, pillowcases, all kinds of stuff. Everyone was embroidering? Yeah, or at least having their factories put out embroidered goods. These are souvenirs. They're fake. They're indicative of the idea of a place rather than the place itself. And I find this particularly interesting with World War II sweetheart souvenirs because they represent an American idea of a pan-Asian aesthetic. You get Japanese snowy mountains, Hawaiian tropical flowers, and Chinese dragons all embroidered on the same pair of silk tap shorts. No, that's just called nuance, babe. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's absolutely insane. 
I love what you're getting into here with the myth of souvenirs. That's really interesting. I also love looking at these souvenirs because they remind me that the way we see and the way we shop the world is so, so heavily influenced by our limited perceptions of how things should look and that that perception is always changing. Like the idea that you would go to Japan but expect the clothes to look Hawaiian if you're an American who had no interaction with either of those countries. It's an interesting phenomenon. Again, I love your optimistic take on this. For me, it kind of taints them because I'm like, you dumbass imperialists with your fake messaging embroidery lie. (laughs) No, I mean, you are getting at this weird power dynamic that happens through this souvenir shopping. The countries that are being occupied by the United States see the occupying soldiers looking for a particular type of good, and then they create that good and use it to bolster their own economy. So it's this act of filtering yourself through the enemy's eyes, but for your own financial benefit, which is so complicated. Okay, that's true. Now I'm back in support of this from like an empowerment, steal the money from the enemy sense. We are so so back. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. And I guess it's all under like, you know... (laughs) It's all under this sort of growing specter of capitalism, which is not great for any of us. It's so over. (laughs) I also find these souvenirs really compelling because they're such a psychological minefield. They're souvenirs from what might be the worst thing that someone could go through, being drafted and sent to battle. And somehow while you're out fighting, you're like, you know what my girlfriend might like right now? A sexy little lingerie set. On one hand, it is this plague of American capitalism settling into other nations. But on the other hand, something about it feels really deeply human to me. Like you're having the darkest experience you could imagine, and you're still trying to think of something sweet and pretty that you could take out of it for the person who you love. When would you say, I guess one question I have is, when would you say that these sets started to become collector's items? Like I imagine that there had to be a chunk of time where they were like, not on the market because they were with the women who they were gifted to and then they started you know either selling them or getting rid of them and making their way into vintage sales. So what's interesting is that the industry around sweetheart souvenirs doesn't die down immediately after the war. The biggest production run of Sukajan embroidered jackets was actually in the 1950s because everyone started to see how cool they were after the war. Yeah and I just found out that the alleged original tailor of the Sukajan still sells jackets. His name is Taylor Toyo, and the jackets are really cool. I mean, still alive? I don't know if it's specifically him, him who's still alive, but his tailoring shop still makes jackets. Damn. Yeah. Then the industry continues through the Vietnam and Korean Wars as well. And what's really interesting to see is that during these times, the messaging and the embroidery becomes yeah. a lot darker. You get the jackets from Vietnam that say things like, when I die, I'll go to heaven because I've already done my time in hell which is so clearly indicative of how young people had begun to change their thinking about war. War. Yeah, and and the draft. Um, That is fascinating. I want one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those are, you can find a lot of those too. They're really cool. And and that phrase gets put on a lot of modern versions of the jackets too, because it's it's hardcore. Yeah, (laughs) damn. But the lingerie and pajamas available stay pretty cute. That would be a difficult message to wear on your crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them need it, though. Yeah. Some of them need it. It would probably be a hit today, honestly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So people need a break from the souvenirs post-Vietnam. But honestly, because these pieces, like we're saying, have a super clear historical significance, they're collector's items from the moment they're created. And what's funny now, too, is that because they were mass-produced, you can get ones that are still in their original packaging. And I assume that some of it is because 
like all of us now, women back then were guilty of trying to save special souvenirs. Yeah. So, you know, imagine holding on to your little lingerie set that your boyfriend got you only to find out that its value has increased hundreds of times. Your grandma would be like, sell it. Yeah, yeah she'd be like, time to sell. <laughs> Well, these are very expensive online. This is not necessarily something that all of our listeners can be purchasing on Etsy as some of our other shows kind of are more about things that are more widely accessible. Yeah, I'm interested on where you stand on vintage lingerie and what you're usually searching for. Well, I will say I like dream of owning one of these sets as I'm sure actually yeah. lots of people do because they're just they're just cool. Um, but also I do collect the pajamas and especially the pajama tops from this time because you get really amazing. I'm wearing one right now with amazing embroidery it's on beautiful. it. It's beautiful. And I also find it sometimes can lead to a difficult conversation, yeah. but I think it's, it has led me to having a lot of really interesting historical conversations with people who don't even necessarily care about clothing. And I love that. And what's really interesting is that actually the shape of most of the pajama tops is based on a Chinese style called a Changsam, which is from the 30s. And it was this specific innovation in Chinese dress to appeal to the Western consumers. Yes. So all of it is is kind of tied up in this complicated history of how cultures package themselves up and sell themselves to other people. Right. It's not as easy. It's not as black and white as saying like that's appropriation. It's like, well, actually it was made for a Western audience. Yeah. And a lot of the ones you can find even on eBay now were made in America, America after the war. So I just find it really interesting and not in like a pot stirring way because also like, again, from a design perspective, these pieces are amazing. And I have one that's a Chinese style top, but made with Japanese hand-painted silk from right after the war that's got like amazing tiny scenes painted into it. Whoa, we need a photo of that on the covered substack. We can do that. <laughs> um, I don't know. And, and to me, it also always feels very personal because my great grandmother and then subsequently my grandmother wore a lot of stuff like this from, yeah. from the wartime days. So, um, so I don't know. It's to me, that is a slightly more affordable take on the souvenir lingerie, if that's yeah. what people want. But also I don't know how I feel about vintage lingerie. You yeah. tell me, you tell me your stance. Well, my stance is that, you know, I don't have any underwear that I've collected that's vintage it's still for some reason in my brain kind of a place that I don't personally usually go even though I will get vintage bathing suits okay I don't like vintage bathing suits either but I think that's just because it doesn't suit my body type for the most part but when it comes to vintage bras I'm a huge vintage La Perla girl really yeah I think I'm gonna do the next ISO on La Perla I have with me here one of my favorite pieces that when I found I immediately bought even though it was way too expensive <laughs> yeah. and I shouldn't have but I wish I'd reacted to it on air because I truly gasped Ruby when I saw in it and was like what is that it was La Perla did this collection with Swarovski and it is a completely sheer looking bikini top that is just completely then covered in these tiny little jewels. It's unreal. And um, it's making me very excited that I just signed up for the Skims Swarovski collection launch. And now I need to, too. <laughs> yeah, it honestly looks nothing like that. It looks a thousand times cheaper. cheaper. But 
It's a really beautiful piece, and there are many classic La Perla shapes that I'm obsessed with. There's a corset that I've never been able to get my hands on that has these petal embroideries on it that oh, I love. Oh, I know exactly the what green, you mean. The green, they come yes. in green, blue, pastels. Yeah, that's very girly for you. It's really, re- well, and I will say it's the one place that I am like, I kind of want to be covered in pink tulle. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. there are some ruffled red sheer la perla pieces that i like i would drain my bank account on vintage la perla if i could and i need to be stopped i think a lot about desire with clothing it's the main thing that attracts me to clothing is for me to understand my own relationship to yearning and desire and imagination and when it comes to really delicate pieces man, I'm going off. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's so appropriate with the specific lingerie we talked about today Today, too, because it's really easy for this, especially within the world of lingerie, but with clothing in general for it to all feel very like fantastical and tied up. And like, I think that's how a lot of things get spun when it comes to good design is saying like it's fantasy and it's building another world. But I really like these opportunities where we have things that look incredible, but we can go back and say they're actually tied to a really dark moment in human history. And and people were still creating these things that are grounded in reality, but don't look like they are to us now. Yeah. I think that that's so right. It's like the double-edged sword of, and perhaps with these sets, what I'm having such a hard time with is both the idea knowing that these men were kind of on this mission to occupy land and then they're sending these women these messages that also kind of feel like they're going to occupy them yes and it's like the doubling of that is like oh it's so the thing that I love about lingerie today is it feels so like created by women for women yeah so where are you shopping for bras then huh god I don't even remember it's like I've been pregnant for like two years straight yeah, and like totally. your boobs change size so many times. I don't know the last time I bought an actually cute bra, which yeah. is really depressing. I'm a diehard agent provocateur yeah. fan. That's, it's really that or like a plain cotton bra for me. Yeah. And are you going in person to one of the agent provocateur stores or are you shopping yes. online? I'm not allowed to buy underwear online because yeah. it goes so bad for me every yeah. time. I'm like, that's back in the in the 85% in person yeah, or yeah. whatever it is. For me, I'm like uh, my own rule that has to happen for myself. I got so sad. I got obsessed with them. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the mid-2010s uh, band, The Virgins. Duh. Yeah, of course. They had this like amazing mu- music video for Rich Girls. Uh-huh. And there was this like super iconic agent provocateur set that's like not very sexy, actually. Or like not... That's it, in the music video? Yeah, it's completely opaque silk and it's really thick black and white striped silk which is obviously my alley like I love stripes and you hunted it down and I hunted it down on Depop and it was my first time doing like an online underwear shopping thing and it came and it was so So tiny tiny. that I was like well now I'm I have to offload this set that I thought was going to be like I was like, this is incredible. I've been obsessed with life. this music video for a decade and now I can be the girl in the music video. It was like a very clear clear to me what I was doing there. Obviously. And then I was like, oh, I'm not her at all. I'm not her. <laughs> As two professional internet searchers, we have found some perfect silk sets just for you. We've linked our recs in our show notes or you can visit covered.substack.com. Before we head out, it's time for the accessory. Just like your favorite saucy sets or La Perla top, right before we leave, we'll be adding on one more thing, just for fun. 
Okay, I have a question for you today. I'm ready. How many times do you change your outfit throughout the day? As much as I love thinking of outfits, I actually hate changing my clothes. Like, I really like to pick one thing in the morning and have that be it for the day. Unfortunately, I think the reality of like living in a city and running around. Yeah. If I'm going out on the town in the evening, which is increasingly rare, but (laughs) it's probably two outfits. But that's my real maximum. Like I'm having a bad day if I've changed more than once. That is so unfathomable to me. I mean, I knew this about you because I imagine that you would like have this moment in the morning where you're like, I am picking the outfit and then stick with it. But I am the complete opposite. And so I need to know, does this happen before coffee or tea, after coffee and tea? Okay, this has been a point of contention in the Redstone household because <laughs> my husband, who's crazy, will get up and just like put on his outfit straight out of bed. And I'm yep. like, one, whoa, like, how is that okay for you to get out of like a cozy little bed? Straight and to the jeans. Straight to jeans. STJ. It's like psychotic to me, but also he'll be really unhappy with the outfit because he loves clothes as well. And I'm like, I think you need to like have a bit of caffeine get firing on all cylinders before you start to think of the outfit. Like you can't be layering at at 7.05. It's too much. (laughs) I like to feel like I'm at my full capacity before I, I get started. But I think the real key is that, again, despite loving clothes, I don't love trying on stuff or like shopping a bunch. I don't like negotiating with myself that much in the morning. And also I'm really decisive. So if I'm just like, oh, I want to wear that shirt, that's the shirt. And you know, there's, there's no other, no other piece to the conversation. Obsessed. I love that. (laughs) I would love to channel that. I change my outfit four-ish times a day and I'm going to walk you through them. Whoa. Okay. Correct. Okay. Well, I wake up and I'll wake up in my pajamas And I will change into something that's just like intermediary between my pajamas and what I'll really need to wear to the day just to like have my coffee. Yeah. It's like PJs or it's like sweatpants and a t-shirt. Adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes it's weird. Like it's like sweatpants and a cardigan. It's usually that. (laughs) Sometimes it's like a real shirt, but not real bottoms yet. Yes. Because I work from home. So there's no need for me to like, and no one else is here. So before a meeting, I'll probably put on outfit number one, which is just usually my like whatever my go-to is for the season. So like whatever pants I'm wearing all the time and like a sweater and I'll like work from home in that. Yeah. But then let's say I'm going to go work out after work. And so then I'm... Well, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's psycho. But let's say I'm going to go work out. Then I'm putting on workout clothes, going to the gym and showering there. And then I'm just wearing, I'm probably wearing whatever was earlier on again. So I have to change again. No, this is And then so I go stressful. home. And if I'm going out, then I'm changing to go out. It's wow. bad news. Yeah. But to me, I think it's like, I never, never like the like, I hate the Steve Jobs thing of like, if you just wear a uniform, you could use your like precious headspace to think about big Shut thoughts. Like, up. no, I'd love to just think about outfits <laughs> all day. <laughs> For me, I think it's like, I think too much that if I had to change four times, like I don't think I'd make it back out the door because I would be so mentally exhausted. So in that sense, you're stronger than I am. No, I mean, and listen, that's maybe why I'm not making it out the door some days. 
um that steve jobs quote is so male flop era coded like yes. that is such in the like great renunciation wow maybe the death of steve jobs is the end of the great male renunciation i would hope because i'm like once again i am consistently doing both all the time yeah and it's like everyone can feel differently for me life would be joyless if i was not allowed to think about what i wanted to wear and for Same. some people that might be a huge burden lifted to just say i'm gonna wear a fuggly ass black turtleneck <laughs> and, and jeans every day i think that i would like to work on it more because i wind up destroying my room every single day that's what i was gonna say is the main thing for me my dear husband is allowed to change as much as he wants because he cleans it all up immediately yeah. me it's a it's a big mess me it's not <laughs> happening for me in there and so I think it might be good to start my day putting on one outfit and one of my favorite things is I think it's very influenced by the early 2000s magazine culture of like an office to evening look of like you just <laughs> you just take your jacket <laughs> off yeah and oh my god you have a really sexy corset underneath <laughs> or like yeah switch your shoes from Birkenstock into these like stilettos that you keep in your tote bag yeah I love that and I think it kind of deeply influenced a lot of um women's thinking when it comes to outfits because I love thinking of um transitional outfits between activities like one of my peak outfits that I still think about to this day was like I had to take a bunch of children ice skating and then I had to go to a preview at the MoMA and I didn't have any time in between to change and I was like what on earth is appropriate for, for taking both of those eight children ice skating and then going to this like black tie event at the MoMA and I did it. And Tell us about the outfit. <laughs> it was super cute. It was the middle of winter. So it was a little um, black cardigan with diamante buttons. Yeah. Some knit mini shorts with black tights underneath. Wow. Yes. And then thick socks and loafers sub for ice skates <laughs> and a headband cute so cute I ended up using that formula a lot and then I have an aunt-in-law who is obsessed with this phenomenon as well and she'll text me her best ones and she had this iconic one once that I quote all the time because it's I don't know if anyone else would find themselves in a situation but she was like outfit for a bishop's funeral followed by tanning in central park <laughs> I was like I don't know babe like that I actually hard. I think you might need to go home and change and she was like nope figured it out <laughs> so though so tanning easy because you're just take off those layers exactly take off those bishop layers <laughs> exactly oh that's a fun game i'm gonna think about my weirdest transitions from yeah. place to place although mm, okay okay maybe i shouldn't maybe it's the hustle efficiency culture that we all need to shed we need to be at home changing we need to be at home changing <laughs> one thing about me is you'll catch me at home changing first <laughs> Sometimes if I can't go home to change first, then I'm not going. Maybe I'm always looking. No, no, that's not true. That's mean to myself. It's not true. You just want to go home. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was trying to stop you, myself from saying. If it's not that, but you're like, oh, I need to drop Guess my I bag gotta off. Go home. Guess I can't go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Covered. Covered is hosted by me, Ruby Redstone. And hosted and produced by me, Natalie Brennan. Our artwork is by Gabriel Summer. Our music is by Ada Noel. You can find me on Instagram at Ruby Redstone, and my newsletter, Old Fashioned, is available on Patreon. I am New Balenciaga on Instagram, and my newsletter, ISO, is on Substack. All of our links are in the show notes. Okay, I think we're all covered. We're all covered. All covered. All covered. <laughs>